Amos chapter three, beginning in verse one. This is what Holy Scripture says. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities." Do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest and when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he's taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city when the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They don't know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you'll be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. And proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. 
I also withheld the rain from you when there was yet three months to the harvest. I'd send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it had not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. That which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal, cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile. Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice into wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it's an evil time. Seek good and not evil. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. In all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They'll call to the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you 
who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sicketh your king and Kiyun your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, please use your word today to do a good thing in us. Enlighten us to sins we may not even know we are sinning. Show us a path of repentance. Help us to hear your word through your prophet, Amos. And change us because of it, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Isn't it nice to be around nice people? Isn't it nice just to be around someone who's very pleasant, encouraging, always sees the, the, half, the, the glass half full, that kind of optimistic, cheerful person? It's really nice to be around people like that, which makes the moment you make them angry all the more shocking. You did it. You discovered the one thing that would make that person upset, make them angry. What do you do when that person is God? When you provoke the anger of God. One of the psalmists wrote in Psalm 89:14 that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. He's speaking to God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness is to do those things that are right and true and good. Justice is to act fairly in line with what is just and fair. And so the psalmist reflects and says, God, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now by saying that those things are his throne's foundation, that psalmist is making a statement about the character of God, what God is like. God, you are right, you're righteous, and you are just. You are fundamentally fair in all of your dealings, and you always do what is right. 
And if you pay attention to your Bible, you will soon see that when the people who identify with God, who, who, who claim to be followers of God, claim to have a relationship with God and thereby claim to be his representatives in the world, when those people do the opposite of those two things, when they, when they do unjust actions, when they do unrighteous harm, especially harm to those who are weak and poor, especially when they bathe it or clothe it or disguise it under the guise of religion, God reveals his sinless and perfect anger. The lion roars. Around 760 BC, he was roaring. God was roaring through his prophet Amos. And if you look at Amos chapter three, I'm gonna divide these three chapters into four, the four roars of the line, if you like, the four things God wants this church to know. Number one, the lion is roaring at you, fam. <laughs> Amos begins his prophecy with a pointed finger. He is pointing at the people of God, and as we explained last Sunday, by extension, he's looking toward you and me. Who's the one who roars? Hear this word that the Lord has spoken. It's the covenant God, Yahweh. Who is he roaring at? He has spoken it against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. And that family language is important. That's why I'm using it in my outline to this text. Yahweh is telling the northern kingdom of Israel that he is coming to punish them for the sins they're refusing to stop, the sins they're refusing to repent of. Why is he coming to them? Because they are family. These were people rescued by Yahweh. They were redeemed out of their slavery by him. They were delivered into a promised land by God. They are known by him. Look at verse two. I have, of you only have I known. That's a term of intimate relationship. And in this sense, these people are like us. Since we too have been saved, we have been redeemed, we have been delivered out of our slavery to sin, and out of all the families of the earth, we are now part of the family of God, our Father. We are brothers and sisters to our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Amos is speaking on behalf of the head of the family, and he announces that the head of the family has arrived like a lion, and he's standing right outside the door, and he roars. What does he roar? Well, he roars these seven rhetorical questions, each of which is intended to be answered with a no. Some of them are a little culturally or uh, chronologically removed from us. I won't explain them all, but you'll get the idea. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? The implied answer, no. Does a lion roar in the forest where he has no prey? No. Does a young lion cry out from his den if he's taken nothing? No. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? No. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? No. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? No. Six questions, then comes the seventh does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? No. God's roar, 
God's message to his people is that he is going to bring disaster on them. And since it is certain that God is going to do it, it is then necessary for his prophet to speak it. Verse 7, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion is roared, who will not fear? Our sermon title for the morning. The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Sometimes it can appear to our outside eyes like a church is in decline. But it may very well be that a church is being judged by God. Do you remember those seven letters written to the seven churches in the Revelation? And do you recall what punishment was threatened to each of those seven churches if they did not repent? Do you remember? That the lampstand would be removed, that Christ would remove himself from their church, which means you can have a bunch of people meeting together You can have a bunch of people claiming to be Christians. You can have a bunch of people calling themselves church, and Jesus may not be there. The church is all about Jesus, not you, not me. It's all about Jesus. So much so that if God walks away from any church, God himself might invite the world to look and evaluate the evidence of the sinfulness and the godlessness of his own people. Look at the ones who were invited to examine the lion's evidence. Amos tells Israel, why don't you mail out some invitations to your two worst enemies so that they will come and see why the family of God deserves this punishment from God. This is verse 9. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod. Where's Ashdod? In Philistia, the, the Philistines. And to the strongholds in the land of Egypt. Who are the Egyptians? All the people that enslaved you for 450 years. Send out invitations to your former oppressors. Send out invitations to the people who hate you, your historical enemies, and and invite them to come and serve as the witnesses to your guilt. Say to those people, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, that's the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, assemble yourselves there in Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her. They don't know how to do right. They don't know how to act righteously, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Amos tells Israel, invite your enemies to come and see you, the tumults. Tumults is a word that has the idea of, of the cultural chaos that's caused by sin. Invite them to look at the oppressed in your land. The oppressed means you've been disadvantaged people who are being unfairly treated. Come and see that my people are incapable of doing right. They cannot live in line with God's character. What are they doing? They're saving up. They're investing in all the wrong things. You know what they're putting in their strongholds and their safe? They're putting violence and, and robbery at gunpoint, robbery by force into their strongholds. And God says, stand on this mountain right here, Egypt, and look at my family and tell me what you see. I'll tell you what you see. Oppression, chaos, 
violence and evil, primarily aimed at the weak, the marginalized, and the poor. That's what the lion roars. Israel is guilty of the very same crimes against their fellow human beings that all the surrounding nations were guilty of in chapters 1 and 2. This Israel that's to be a light to the nations is like the nations. It's worse than their nations. And it's their failure to do justice and to do righteousness and then to cover that up with a religiosity that brings down the judgment of God. He'll expose and expand on these particular sins again in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 7, and then chapter 5, verses 10 to 13. He's making it clear. But brothers and sisters, if we understand that we are the Israel of God, Galatians 6, 16, then we had better make sure that we understand what these sins were that God's people were being judged for. And we better find out if we're guilty of the same sins today. Because God doesn't change. He doesn't change. Nor do his expectations of justice and righteousness change. The lion's roaring at us, fam. That's number one. Number two, the lion's going to tear his fam to shreds for their unjust treatment of the marginalized and weak. That's a strong statement, but it's not wrong because that's what he says. The punishment will be wide, thorough, and sweeping. There will be political collapse, verse 11. An adversary will surround the land, bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds will be plundered. What's in the strongholds? Well, what he said in verse 10. All your stored up violence and robbery, all that you did to live this prosperous life, all that you did unjustly on the backs of the poor and the marginalized to have this life of prosperity, that will all be plundered. Your property will be destroyed. Kids, look at verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. That's kind of gross. So shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Amos says, speaking of lions, think of the, ch- the shepherd who chases off the lion only to find a couple of lamb legs and a goat ear That's all that's left of his herd, of his flock. And God says, that's what it's going to be like for you, Israel. When I come in judgment, the damage is done. It's going to be as if you never existed. All that's left of you, a couple lamb legs and a a goat ear, that's it. There's, There's hardly any evidence whatsoever that you even existed. Just a few feathers in the hen house. And that's all the wealth and standing and security that Israel was trusting in. It's all going to be gone. It's all going to be destroyed. And the the hypocrisy of their heartless worship with which they're covering up all of these sins, that's all going to be erased. Verse 13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. On that day, I'll punish Israel for his transgressions. I'll punish the altars of Bethel, this place of false worship. The horns of the altar will be cut off. They'll fall to the ground. I'll strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Not only your places of worship, but all your homes. In that day, most people lived in clay huts, sun-dried bricks. 
To, to have a home made out of cut stones, you would have to be fabulously wealthy. To have those homes inlaid with, with ivory from elephant tusks, you, you were fabulously wealthy. And these people got their normal house, then they got their summer cottages. You might say, well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Unless it's all built on the unrighteous and unjust treatment of the poor and the needy. God roars and says, I'm coming to destroy your houses. All this fruit of your injustice and your unrighteousness. Might be an earthquake, might be a tsunami, might be an invading army. I'll use whatever I need, but I'll destroy it all. And then look at this. Verse 11, or rather Amos chapter 4 verse 1. People that are, are complicit in the sins complicit by their enjoying the profits of the sins, they'll get hauled away too. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria. I had a pastor come to the Bible college I attended when I was a young man, and he preached a sermon in which he referred to some of the women in that college as the cows of Bashan. That went over really well. Uh, but that's what Amos is doing. Bashan was kind of like saying Bay Street. It's an it's a area of the land that is known to be fertile and prosperous. It's where the wealthy derive much of their wealth. And so the cows of Bay Street were the women enjoying the luxury life afforded by their husbands' sins. What sins? Look at verse one again, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. They oppress the poor. That means they treat people who are already disadvantaged unjustly. Poor, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, is not so much the idea of I don't have any money as I'm in a position of want or need. I'm helpless, I'm weak, I'm lowly. It might be I don't have money, but it's, it's not poverty per se. It's, it's in a, a position of being marginalized or disadvantaged. So they oppress the poor, they crush the needy, they harass and trouble those who are already in need, and they do all of this in order to feed their excessive sensuality. Bring me another drink. Now this is really, really important to see. It would not have been the, the, the women here, the cows of Bashan, are not the primary actors, they're not the primary agents of these sins. It would have been their husbands who were doing these things, but it's their demands on their husbands which motivate those husbands to keep the wine flowing by squeezing the weak. And so the cows of Bashan are complicit in the sins of their husbands. Now I want you to think about that. In the evaluation of God, you can be guilty of another person's unjust oppression of the poor and the needy. I like affordable coffee and inexpensive clothing. But what if my demand for those things is fueling the oppression of the weak. Here's what the Lord says to the cows of Bashan. Verse two, 
The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Your cows are going to get dragged through the breaches. A breach is where the wall of your city in which you thought, behind which you thought you were secure, has been breached, it's been opened, and he says, you know what, you're going to be dragged out through the breaches and hauled away to your death. But then he says, you know what, guys, I know you're not listening, and so he, he, I know you don't care, I know you could care less what I'm saying here, so you know what, just, just go on with your false worship. Amos is being sarcastic here, he taunts them, verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. Basically, Amos says, go ahead, keep faking your worship while you openly sin your sins of social malpractice. See what that gets you. See what that gets you if you're a business person who's knowingly building your company on the backs of the poor and coming to church here every Sunday. See what that gets you if you're the spouse of that business person and demanding more things, a bigger house, more toys, better appliances with no care for the marginalized and the maligned that you are causing to suffer. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks. Now that all may sound very harsh and very hard, but don't forget this, number three. The lion's already given fair warning, fam. God's been shooting warning shots over the bow of the HMCS Israel for decades launching terrible losses, tragedies across their path. Why? To get them to come back to him. He sent famine and they did not repent. Verse six, I gave you cleanness of teeth, a lack of bread in all your places. Doesn't mean they brushed their teeth. It means there was nothing to eat so your teeth are clean. And yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He sent drought and you did not repent. I also withheld the rain. I would send rain on one city, send no rain on another. Yet you did not return to me, verse eight. He sent crop failure, and you did not repent. I struck you with blight and mildew, locusts, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He sent COVID, and you did not repent. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Now I realize that COVID-19 did not exist in Amos's day. But that word pestilence means, here's a definition I stole from a dictionary of the Hebrew word. It means a disease that causes widespread sickness and death, a pandemic, end quote. It is translated pestilence here to help us understand agency, that God is the one who's causing this pandemic. He is the source of it. I sent it, he says. I killed some. I created the stench of death, which is precisely what God warned Israel he would do back in Deuteronomy chapter 28 after he gives them the law. He says, but if you forsake me, I'll send pandemics in order to get your heart back. 
brother, sister, are you willing to at least consider that God might have sent COVID-19 into the world in order to get his church, his people, to return to him? Have you been so busy worrying about the disease, worrying about our response to it, that you have missed the entire point? You've missed God's intention? You've missed his intention of getting you to return to him? I mean, Israel did. They missed it entirely. God brings famine, we miss it. God brings drought, we miss it. God brings pandemic, we missed it. Through Amos, God is telling his people, Remember how I wiped out one of my plagues was, was a pestilence that wiped out thousands of people in Egypt? Remember how I did that in Egypt? And now I've been doing that in your land too for you, and yet you will not return to me. Yet you did not return to me. Five times flows this sad refrain, yet you did not return to me. Brothers and sisters, this is why your interpretation of the fact or fiction of this pandemic are of such secondary importance to me. What matters to me is where you are at with God. Have the last two and a half years drawn you closer to your God? Or is God looking at you and saying, my daughter, my son, does disaster come to a city unless I have done it? I sent among you a pandemic, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. If there is any bit of that that's ringing true in your heart now, even if it's just the smallest, then turn me off and turn your heart on toward the Lord. Deal with him. Nothing matters more than that you return wholehearted to him. Amos finishes off his list of things God did to warn his people. He says, I sent death and you didn't repent. Verse 11, you did not return to me. And so Amos announces, I'll... I'll take you all to judgment because you did not return. Verse 12, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Are there there more sobering words in the Bible than these words? Prepare to meet your God. You will meet him one day. That's more certain than tomorrow's sunrise, and it's more sure than your next breath. You, with your own eyes, will see God. You, yourself, will stand before God. Let me tell you about who you're supposed to meet, who you're going to meet. Verse 13, for behold, he forms the mountains, creates the wind, declares to man what is his thought. He makes the morning darkness, treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name which means the lion who is roaring is our maker, our creator, God, the ruler of the armies of heaven. He knows all your thoughts. He forms mountains, makes wind, and you, the very real real, you, are going to stand before him. Are you prepared to meet your maker? If you're not so sure, let me hold out a little bit of hope for you. Number four, the lion's given you another chance, fam. Before before he offers the hope, the prophet reflects on the sure destruction that's going to come in the form of lament. It's a song of sorrow. So he's, he's imagining in his mind's eye what is going to come, and it 
did come one day. Fallen, no more to rise is the virgin Israel forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. Amos says God's gonna use the 10% rule, only 10% will be left, for thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a 1,000 shall have a 100 left. That which went out a 100 shall have 10 left to the house of Israel. But as he laments, he remembers what his God is like. You know, Jonah was a contemporary of Amos. They prophesied in the same time period. Jonah knew what God was like, and he refused to go to Nineveh. Amos knows what God is like, and he can't wait to tell Israel. Look at what he says. Seek God now. I just told you about all this impending judgment and doom and guilt. Seek God now. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. And do not seek Bethel. Don't, go to, don't enter to Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile. Bethel shall come to nothing. Stop looking for help from your fake gods. Seek me. What an offer he makes. And what a warning. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live unless he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Oh, you, you who turn justice into wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. This is amazing. God, look at who God is extending this gracious invitation to seek him. He, the, the people who have turned justice into a bitter poison, wormwood. The people who have tossed righteousness down to the ground like trash when you're, when you're getting off the highway and somebody rolls down their window and out goes the McDonald's. That's what they think of God's righteousness. The people who are nothing like God and have completely failed God, God says to them, seek me now and you'll live. Seek who? This great creator, this great maker, verse eight, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, the starry constellations, he turns deep darkness into morning and darkness of day into night, who calls waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Seek the one who, who created all the stars and names them. Look for the one who makes the sun rise and the rain fall. Call out to this God, the true God. Plead for his mercy or pay for your sins against the weak. This is the most descriptive and detailed description of Israel's sins so far. What we find out is that they are just as guilty as the foreign nations that surround them and their sins and their transgressions are summed up with their abuse of the weak and the needy. So they exact unfair rent from those who can't afford it. That's verse 11, because you trample on the poor. They create something like a a share crop system, sharecropping, so it prospers them but buries the renters, the sharecroppers, in unbearable debt. You exact taxes of grain from them. They use all the profits from their unjust gain to fuel their prosperity. You build houses of hewn stone. You planted pleasant vineyards. They pile up their sins higher than the rooftops of their stone houses. I know how many are your transgressions, how great are your sins. They reject the valid claims of good people who can't afford the expensive lawyers, you who afflict the righteous. They bribe the powers that be in order to get away with these lawless acts and make sure the poor stay poor and the weak stay weak. Who you who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. 
And all of this is so obvious that when the day of judgment comes, smart money is on the guy who doesn't try to defend himself to being one who's left part of that 10%. Therefore, he who is prudent and will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. What must be done? Well, they must seek God. But not only seek God, they must seek good. Verse 14, seek good and not evil. Verse 15, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It may be. These are wonderful phrases in your Bible. In, in, the, in the scope of all of this condemnation and, and judgment come the words, it may be. Friend, that means there is hope for you. You could be one of the best dressed, most morally repugnant idolaters in this room. And it may be that if you turn your back on evil and you humble yourself before God, that God will be gracious to you. Why? Because he sent a savior for people just like you. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And you, you will be healed from your sins if you repent and believe on Christ and from that new heart begin to do good, to establish righteousness in the land. Anyway, what else can you do? Seek good or Pay for all your iniquities against the poor. Verse 16, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets shall, they shall say, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning, to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation, and in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst. Does that language sound familiar to you? God passing through? He passed through Egypt, didn't he? And praise God, he passed over the houses with the blood on the lentil. But here God says, I'll pass through without passing over. Instead of finding your sons spared, you'll discover my arm bared. The destroyer will leave behind him wailing, lamentation, and mourning. Are you ready for that? Be careful. Seek God. Seek good. And whatever you do, stop seeking the day of the Lord. Foolish, foolish Israel thought that they were ready for the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, because of genetics. We are the children of Abraham. Hey fam, there is no divine nepotism. Do you think you're gonna go to heaven because you're a member of Grace Fellowship Church? You think you'll go to heaven because Paul Martin's your pastor? You think you'll go to heaven because you call yourself a Reformed Baptist? Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. If a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Flee to God today or pay for your hypocrisy. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened calves, fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. 
Would you like to understand why hundreds of thousands of formerly enslaved, now unjustly segregated people cheered so loudly when Martin Luther King Jr. quoted Amos 524 from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C.? I'll tell you why. Because they were tired. Tired of living among a people who talked a lot about God as they practiced a lot of injustice and unrighteousness and sin. That kind of gross hypocrisy was a big problem in America in 1963. It was a big problem in Israel in 760 BC. It's a big problem in Canada in 2022. We can talk all we want about following God, but if we act nothing like him, Amos ends his speech by reminding Israel that that even when they were first saved, brought out of Egypt, they weren't really worshiping God. They were just living unjustly, abandoning themselves, abandoning themselves to their false religions. Look at verse 25. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness of house of Israel? No. You were worshiping your sun gods and star gods and the rest. You know, there are only two places in the whole book of Amos that are quoted in the New Testament. This is one of them, verse 25. Do you know who quoted Amos 5.25? A deacon. A deacon by the name of Stephen. He was standing in front of the not-a-Christian-yet Apostle Paul and a lot of other Israelites. And he was telling these people, proving to them that they were always rejecting the truth and embracing hypocrisy. He was showing them from their own scriptures the reason why they were right at that very moment rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior, the line of the tribe of Judah who gave his life on the cross for sinners like them. And as he's preaching, Stephen's mind goes to Amos and he references this point to say, look, it's always been that way. And then his speech culminates with these words, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father Others did, so do you. And then they killed him. Are you, are you angry at this preacher this morning for telling you that God hates your singing? He, he despises your taking of communion? He is put off by your idle chatter of fellowship. If at the same time you are doing those things, you're rejecting his call to do righteousness and to do justice to the most needy of all. Do do you despise the idea of giving up your time, your dreams for a bigger house, your hard-earned money to help people that you sort of think really ought to help themselves? Do you think to yourself, well, it's not my fault I can afford the good lawyers? Do you justify your clothes, your computers, your stuff made on the backs of the needy? Because, hey, it wasn't me who did that. I'm just the consumer. 
and you cows of Bashan. What if God treated you the way you treat the lost, the lowly, the weak, and the marginalized? Is this making you uncomfortable? Because it's making me really uncomfortable. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, God looks at Grace Fellowship Church today and he says, seek me and live. Return to me and I will be gracious to you. But returning to God always means you're leaving something bad behind. What is he calling you to leave behind? Let's pray together. Our Father, we yield ourselves to you and pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and teach and direct and guide us now. Help us to look to Christ, our Savior, to do business with you, to be the kind of people who do righteousness and justice in the world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.